This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, October 22nd, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Kentucky is among the worst states when it comes to state pension funding. And in order to keep promises made in so-called inviolable contracts, states like Kentucky might have to lean on taxpayers even more to fund those lofty promises to state workers. Allison Ball is the state treasurer in Kentucky. She also sits on the Kentucky Teacher Retirement System Board. We spoke last month. Kentucky is, uh, for many years, has been one of the worst performers when it comes to uh, the management operation, uh, funding levels uh, of its state pensions. Uh, That's county employees, that's state employees, um, and uh, state police, I suppose, and and some other uh, smaller pension funds. Uh, There doesn't, the pain is coming. There There is pain to come related to these uh, pension funds because it uh, the lawmakers don't have an incentive to fund them properly. And that's that's just a longstanding problem in, it, in many states. Yeah, in many states. Uh, Kentucky is, you know, maybe maybe the worst. It's definitely like one of the, the it's been one of the top three or lowest three, however you want to describe that uh, in recent years. I am encouraged that I feel like it's better than it's been in the past. And and probably the main reason why I'm encouraged is because I think there has been an awareness of how serious this problem is and you have to fund it. So uh, in the past, you know, governors and general assemblies weren't willing to, to fund the ARC. They weren't willing to make the annual required contributions. And if you don't do that, then you're just digging yourself in a hole. And that was a major problem. And there's a variety of problems. Uh, you, know, you and I have talked a little bit about what some of those problems are. There's a variety of problems. Uh, some of it was not having actuarial studies done to figure out you know, can you do discounts? Uh, you know, what what can you do to make sure that the money is going to be there for the future? And I think there was a lot of uh, political action rather than sound financial financial action in the past running these these programs. But yeah, that they're they're not very well funded. You know, fifty seven percent is the teachers retirement. Uh, is the teacher's retirement uh, system, and that's the best one. You know, that one's actually in good shape, and that's kind of sad when you're in the 50s and that's your best one. Um, the one for state employees, which is the one that I'm in uh, right now, that one's about 17% funded. And you know, the, the numbers have fluctuated a little bit here and there in the last few years. But what I am encouraged about is that I think there is a greater awareness that you have to make sure you are paying your bills. And we have a bill that's due every year, and it has to be decided every two years. Uh, the discount rate, we're going to get wonky here, folks. Um, the discount rate is a measure in a sense of your expectation of ultimately having to pay a liability. That's how in financial uh, studies, we this is what we understand that to be. Discount rates for state pensions are act as if there is a reasonably high likelihood that those bills will never come due. And it has never made sense to me that uh, pension funds ought to have a discount rate greater than, say, a treasury rate or something that is, is very low. The, the, the reality is that uh, the state will have to pay those obligations. So when you discount that liability at a, at a high rate, you're almost saying, eh, maybe not. You're being pretty optimistic. You, you are. You are being optimistic. Um, and I think that that goes back to a lot of the problems in the past. I think a lot of the numbers were optimistic. Uh, so I think, again, it goes back to making sure you're, you're making your payments the way you're supposed to make them. You know, when we have that budget, um, part of that is making sure that you are looking at this every two years.
should the discount rates be lowered on these things? You can do that by statute. You can can do that by statute. It's a heavier lift to do things by statute. Well, but it it, (laughs) it reveals problems that are already there when you when you're using a reasonable discount rate on a portfolio, one that is rational, one that one that agrees with the facts on the ground. it reveals the problems. It makes it makes the pension funds look worse. It makes them look worse, and it requires more money being put into it. But it also tell gives you information that you might otherwise ignore. Yes. Well, and and there are arguments uh, on how do you get the right number, and that's always the challenge, isn't it, to figure out what is the right number? Because if it's if it's too low, you're putting more money in than you really need to. If it's too high, you're not putting enough money in. So that that is always a challenge is to figure out, you know, what is the most accurate number? Uh, you need to be conservative, but you actually don't want to be too conservative. Should the state government be in the retirement business? There are some states like Utah, for example, and others who are on course to get their governments out of the retirement business. If you could start from scratch, if you could start in the beginning, I would have said, you know, pay people more money and let them figure out their own retirement. That's what I would have said. If we could have started this whole thing in the beginning, of course, now these were started in the in the 40s. Uh, the world was very different. People's expectations about the workforce was very different back then. Uh, if we could turn back the clock, I think, I think there would have been a better... I mean, one of the things that's so frustrating to me uh, as an elected official, and I have to figure out my budget for my office, and I have to figure out what my salary is to pay people, I pay people almost... Uh, Two on the dollar. Almost, it's almost double what I have to pay people just to make sure their retirement's covered, and uh, and that only harms the people that are working for me, really. And that's true for counties. Yeah, that's true for the entire payroll of 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 counties throughout throughout the state. Yeah, it's true for counties as well. Um, It's worse for the state. state employees as opposed to county employees. They actually are a little bit better than we are just because they're a little bit better funded. But yes, it is it is almost double everything I have to pay. So if I'm paying somebody a $50,000 salary, I've actually got to figure out it's a $100,000 salary. So they would probably be better off if I was paying them $100,000 and telling them, here, go, go get your own retirement rather than me having to figure out their retirement for them. So what in terms of the policy front, this is a slow-burning problem. But as we've learned in Detroit, as we've learned in uh, other in some cities in California, this can come to a head very quickly. It it can, yes, I I agree, and I think that it really is important to making, like I said, making sure you have that actual required contribution, like that that has to be done. Uh, if you're not doing that, then you're going to dig yourself in a hole. Um, you know, there are some some funds that have have kind of a rainy day element to them, even in the teachers' retirement system. Uh, I would make sure that those are funded. They're well-funded. Uh, and I think these things need to be revisited. I mean, they're, it would be hard legislatively to make a lot of drastic changes because there have been some changes in the past and it's it's been about as good as what we can do. Um, but I think it's the kind of thing that actually needs to be revisited often because uh, it wasn't revisited for a long time and that's how you get yourself in trouble. When Joe Biden announced his big student bailout, uh, a lot of people were asking, well, look, we're asking these 18-year-olds to sign off on large debts that if their educations don't pan out for whatever reason, and, and a lot of a lot of kids decide that you know c- college isn't for them, or they get an expensive degree, or they find out sometimes that they can't they can't do that work that that expensive degree was supposed to prepare them to do, uh, there are uh, there are consequences to that, and one of those is paying back the loans no matter what. And so I think it's reasonable then to ask. Well, what before kids are signing this paperwork, what do they know about finance? You, you know, what do they know about these obligations that they're signing on to? In a lot of states, 
in schools have said, hey, let's mandate a financial literacy uh, course. And, and to me, bal- you know, balancing a checkbook, all the junior achievement stuff, that's, that's fine. Uh, but preparing people for uh, signing legal binding documents uh, that will uh, obligate them to some stream of future payments uh, back is probably the most important element of any of those uh, financial literacy. So what it, what has Kentucky done in terms of trying to advance that? So I'm actually really proud of what we've done in Kentucky. Uh, it's one of the things that I took on uh, early on in, in my term as treasurer. And financial literacy has just been a hot button for me for a long time. I was a bankruptcy attorney before I was treasurer, so I really got to see that people didn't get a lot of training on this. Most people don't have training on it. And uh, it's the kind of thing that you have to learn. You're not you're not born knowing how to make good financial decisions. Like you've just laid out, you've got these kids who are 18 years old, their brain isn't even fully developed yet, and they're being asked to take on a great amount of debt and make major life decisions. So, uh, so I pushed several years ago to get a bill passed to make it a high school requirement that you've got to have a course or program on financial literacy before you're through with school. And that does include student loans. You know, how are you going to pay for your school? Uh, it's budgeting. It's uh, mortgages. It's a variety of things all things that you're going to deal with in your life. Um, it's, a, it's a wide range of topics. And I've always thought that if we're going to make sure people know anything, this is one of the topics we have to make sure that people know. I actually think as a conservative, I think this is a, a really important area for us to be involved in because I think if you understand debt, you're going to make better decisions about who to vote for. You're going to make better decisions about what kind of a government you want. Uh, it's actually sort of a... Um, a wonderful approach for us to teach conservative principles without necessarily uh, highlighting that it's conservative principle. They just are. They're just, you know, it's about discipline. It's about consequences, about thinking long term. It's about, uh, you know, debt, fiscal responsibility. So these are all great topics for us. And I'm always telling other conservatives, like, you need to jump on with me on this one. This is a great one for us to teach the next generation to be to be thinkers and to be responsible. So we got that bill passed. It is now the law of the land in Kentucky. The current uh, junior class, when they're seniors, are going to be the first class to be required uh, to learn these things. And it's going to it's going to take a while to know if it if it truly takes with people because we want to see how are they going to live their life. Who but, chooses the curriculum? Because I, based on recent experience and watching the Kentucky General Assembly operate, I don't trust these guys to make very good decisions <laughs> about what my kids ought to be learning. Well, this, hopefully this will make you feel a little bit better. There are standards that came from the Kentucky Department of Education, but there are standards that say like, hey, you've got to have a budgeting component to this. Hey, you've got to have a student loan component to this, a variety of things like that. And uh, I launched the Kentucky Financial Empowerment Commission, which uh, it's attached to the Treasury, but it doesn't have to use taxpayer dollars. It can, but it doesn't, and it, and it hasn't, and it really doesn't need to, because it can be funded by the private sector. So right now in Kentucky, the credit unions stepped forward and they said, hey, we want to make sure that schools have all they need and other people have all they need to learn financial literacy principles. So they have given the commission a significant amount of money. Uh, It's run by board. I chair the board and it's attached to the treasury. We actually have them housed inside the treasury. And uh, we have identified uh, a variety of programs. Junior Achievement is one of them. They meet the standards. And so we have been uh, taking great efforts to make sure all the schools in Kentucky are ready by the time next year comes around that they can teach these kids these courses. Uh, And we actually this week are launching a software program that covers all these things and it's and it's got our stamp of approval it's been vetted by us um and and i think you would feel confident in in this program and the programs that we're highlighting we're program we're highlighting all the ones that meet the standards and they're letting schools choose what they want to but jaa is on our board uh, if that gives you any kind of idea of of what we do 
Allison Ball is Kentucky's state treasurer. We spoke last month. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.